Okay, so welcome to what I've tentatively called Hitting the Hard Stuff, um, a journey through Hebrews. Um, tonight we're going to kind of learn about what is Hebrews, uh, besides one of the more ignored pieces of the New Testament. Um, and, huh? Yeah. Um, and then kind of talk about the who, what, when, where, whys of Hebrews so we can kind of have that grounding as we go um, through the next kind of seven weeks of this study. Um, and then we are going to do a deeper dive into Hebrews chapter one, which really does serve as a thesis statement um, for the book of Hebrews. So jumping into that who, what, when, where, why, um, we'll get to why I call it hitting the hard stuff here in a bit. Um, but let's start with the what. This is entitled the letter to the Hebrews. Guess what, friends? It's not a letter. A lot of these things we call letters are letters. This is a sermon with some shout outs at the end. Chapter 13 is a letter where it says, shout out to my boy, Timothy. He's going to get out of prison soon. And, um, you know, remember to do this and remember to thank your mom and uh, shout outs. Um, that's only chapter 13. Everything else is a sermon. It is a sermon. Um, it is one continuous argument the whole time. It is actually the longest sustained argument in the New Testament. Where it is twelve, it is yes, it is twelve chapters of one sustained argument, um, and that's why we are not. Uh, this is not one of those ones where we're going to jump around like we did with Psalms. This is one where, like, we're going to do with Revelations or Romans, where we're going to do it a chapter or two at a time, um, and really see how the argument builds on itself. Um, all in terms of things that get called letters, um, only Romans and First Corinthians are longer, um, and so. This, this slots in as, as one of the chunkier pieces of New Testament uh, theology. As to when it was written, this we are less certain of. Uh, we know it was written before the year 95 AD. Because in 95 AD, um, a theologian named Clement quotes Hebrews. So we know it existed and was in general distribution um, by 95 AD. There's nothing in the letter that couldn't mean it was, it could be very early in the movement, um, 35 AD, which would make it one of the young, one of the older letters, um, or it could be any time uh, before 95 AD. Um, but it has to have existed before 95 uh, because it had to not just been written, but known well enough that Clement was able to quote it. Um, so again, beyond that, anywhere from the year 35, so like a couple of years after Jesus, ascends uh, into heaven um, through 95 when, Hemen, when, when Clement quotes it. As to who, the who's of this, um, who received it, we don't know. This is called, well, it's called Paul's letter to the Hebrews, and we're going to get to the Paul's part here next. Um, but as to the Hebrews, okay, here's what we know about the audience based on the content of the letter. This letter loves the Old Testament like nothing else in the New Testament. This has a, this letter quotes the Old Testament at such a pace with such subtle references that we are very sure that the audience reading this knew the Old Testament very well, or else it's very poorly written because most of it would have <laughs> sailed over people's heads. Because we're going to read some chunks of it, and then I'm going to call out what book did this come from, and guess what? Even Scott and Brandy, who are my resident scriptural experts, are not going to get all of these. Um, I got one of the seven I'm going to throw out. I got one, okay? Um, this knows the Old Testament extremely well, and it seems very connected to Jewish traditions and analogies. 
So this is where the title Hebrews comes from. This letter is unsigned and untitled in the original text, but very early on it gets labeled the letter to the Hebrews, and then later than that, Paul's letter to the Hebrews. And that is because this is very clearly a Jewish Christian audience. This is not a pre-convert Jewish audience. These, these Christians, um, these are Christians. These are, these are people who have accepted Christ, who understand that Christ is deeply important to their spiritual lives, um, but they come from a Jewish background. There may be some Gentiles in this mix too. We don't know. Um, but this is, um, if, if you can think of the two poles, of Paul's letter to the Romans is to a fully mixed congregation with a ton of Gentiles. Paul, this letter that gets entitled Paul's letter to the Hebrews um, is the exact opposite. This is people who know the Old Testament really well, um, who know Jewish, to know the role of the high priest in Jewish theology, because that forms one of the cornerstones of this argument is Christ as the high priest taking care of the sins of the people, right? If you didn't know the temple in Jerusalem and how that worked, that's meaningless to you, right? The average Greek on the street may not even know there's a temple in Jerusalem. Um, so that's why it gets the letter to the Hebrews. Um, it is certainly some written to a group um, that has lost something for their faith. There's talk of property that they lost. They somehow their material lives were impacted by the fact that they came to Christ um, and they are rooted in a Jewish tradition. Beyond that, that could be anyone, but right. That could be the persecution by Nero. It could even be Matthew's community. It could be the community in Corinth. Uh, there's a lot of people this could be. Um, we're going to get to why I say Corinth in a second, um, but it's certainly people coming out of a Jewish tradition. Okay, so now the actual thorny question, right? The question that is not clear is the question of who wrote this letter, book, sermon, thing. Um, by the second or third century, it gets labeled Paul's letter to the Hebrews. Now, even very early theologians, Tertullian um, and Clement, do not think it was written by Paul. Um, theologically, it has some stuff that sounds like Paul. It mentions some of Paul's friends, but Paul tended to sign his stuff. A, I, Paul. What's up? Is the Clement? Is that the same Clement that got the shout out in Philippians? Yes. Okay. Um, or potentially. Uh, potentially? potentially. Let's go with potentially. Um, so there are, but there are plenty of like first and early second century theologians who read this letter and, and, and later in the third and fourth century who read this letter and go, it doesn't sound like Paul. Um, some of it is, again, it's unsigned. Paul signs his work, right? Um, Paul has a shout out where he talks about how he, Paul, has these personal relationships with people. This is not like anything that Paul wrote. It has some theology that looks like Paul, um, but it also has some theology that looks like John. Um, and actually, it's kind of a blending of Paul's theology and John's theology. The stuff we're going to read in chapter one here in a minute um, are very much John's theology about how Christ was there at the beginning as the Logos, as the word of God, right? That's a real big John thing. It's not that Paul didn't believe that. It's just not the bit that Paul focused on. Um, and, and it's written in a fancier style with way more scripture references than the person who claims to be the, you know, the evangelist to the Gentiles, right? Paul is laser focused that his mission is to the Gentiles. Then why would Paul, who has to fight to be allowed to be the missionary to the Gentiles, write a letter to the Hebrews? That part doesn't twig. So who wrote it? Um, early on, some theories was Luke wrote it. 
Um, that's not the most crazy thing I've ever heard. Um, there's a theory floating out there that Barnabas wrote it uh, because there is a shout out to Timothy. And so there's a Timothy Barnabas connection. Uh, both very educated people, uh, particularly Luke, who was a doctor. Um, but there's a case I like better. Um, uh, and it's a guy named Apollos. Um, so here's what you need for someone to be able to write the book of Hebrews. You need a very educated person, right? Um, you need someone with a deep connection um, to Judaism. Um, and you need someone who is enough of a leader um, in the early Christian movement um, that their letter would be, you know, remembered, right? Um, that their letter would be read and kept. And so I'm going to read for y'all um, Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. Um, it is Luke's description of Apollos. Um, and I'm going somewhere with this. Okay. Um, yes. Eight, no, excuse me. That's chapter 28. I can't read my own writing. It's chapter. I said it right and then flipped to chapter 28 from the fool. It's like, that's not what happened. Uh, chapter 18, verses 24 through 28, the ministry of Apollos. Now there came to Ephesus a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. Now, Alexandria was known as a very learned place um, and a home to a very learned Judaism. Um, it was like there was the famous uh, Library of Alexandria. It was like, I, like Oxford, England, right? Or Cambridge, right? Like it was like a center of learning for the ancient world, okay? Um, he was an eloquent man, well-versed, in the scriptures, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with burning enthusiasm and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogues, but when Priscilla and Aquila um, heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. And when he wished to cross over to Acacia, the believers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. On his arrival, he greatly helped those um, who through grace had become believers. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the, that the Messiah is Jesus. So here's an interesting thing. The actual thing that Hebrews does is... Uh, by showing the scriptures that, that the Messiah is Jesus. This describes an extremely learned Jew um, who is very eloquent in his description of, of the way of Christianity. Um, and so this is part of why I say, I think Apollos wrote Hebrews. Um, I'm not the only person that came up with this, but I think Apollos wrote Hebrews. The other thing that I think is happening um, is Apollos is who part of who Paul is arguing with in 1 Corinthians. So there's this whole thing in 1 Corinthians 3 about um, uh, mother's milk and growing, like you are only ready for a little bit. And then there's this little bit in Hebrews where the author of Hebrews says, no, you're ready for the hard stuff. Um, and so I'm going to read for y'all uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 3. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians about where he thinks they are in their spiritual development. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. 
for as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, and you not uh, and you not of the flesh, excuse me, among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclination? Now I'm going to jump to uh, Hebrews, um, chapter five, verse twelve. Quickly, I think. Yes. Ah, uh, yeah, and and, and, then, and then Apollos. Um, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. Apollos is mentioned in verse four. When one says, "I belong to Paul," another says, "I belong to Apollos." Are you not merely human? And then, interestingly enough, in Hebrews chapter five, verse twelve, um, for though that, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again uh, the basic elements of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, uh, for everyone who lives, who live, excuse me, you need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. So these two writers who write in different styles both having this conversation about folks who need milk versus solid food. And I start to wonder, is 1 Corinthians and Hebrews both things written to the Corinthians, one by Paul and one by Apollos? Now, again, uh, Hebrews is unsigned um, in the original text. The attribution to Paul comes a century after it would have been written. Um, we can kind of point to... Um, some early theologians who don't think it's written by Paul because it doesn't sound like him. Um, it doesn't feel like him. Um, also, it's unsigned. Also, even the people who structured the Bible um, in the fourth century don't put it with Paul's letters. They put it between Paul's letters and the other stuff. What's up, Anita? And then chapter 2, verse 3, that Paul Yes. Right. That he he had a direct knowledge of Christ uh, on the road to Damascus. Yes. So this is probably not written by Paul. I think it's written by Apollos. Would I bet my life on this theory? No. But I hope you see how I get there. Um, and again, I'm not the only one. Um, the uh, professor who trained me um, in New Testament, Luke Timothy Johnson, this is one of his kind of you know, favorite things to converse about is who wrote Hebrews um, and was it Apollos? Because he definitely thinks it's Apollos. And I agree with him. Um, it is based on Luke's description of Apollos and what Hebrews actually is. They are very similar. It is a learned scripture-based Jewish argument defending that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, he might have took this note from Paul writing this, you think? Well, certainly... Apollos has some not seems to have some knowledge of Paul and Paul's friends, right? Barnabas and Timothy get shout outs here um, in chapter 13. Um, but also a real encounter with John, um, which would make sense as a guy based in Alexandria, uh, now working um, in the you know eastern part, Eastern Roman Empire. Um, because there's a lot of John material here too. There, there, there are certainly, oh, this dude has heard Paul. Um, but also this dude has heard John. Um, he has encountered both of the schools. Um, and, and that is like, th there is a clear, like Luke stays within the Pauline. Luke is a part of Paul's school, right? And then the John school is very different. 
Hebrews is the halfway point between the two, um, but in a very different writing style from either of them. No one else in the New Testament has this amount of rapid fire Old Testament reference. Questions, comments, concerns? If you think this is heretical, you can feel free to, you know, get your pitchforks. It's in the Bible. It's there for a reason. I just disagree with the traditional statement of who wrote it, right? Um, that doesn't change its validity as scripture. We're going to spend the next seven weeks uh, where I intimately explain to you why I think this is an incredibly important and under-focused on book. Um, I just think Apollos wrote it. Um, and, and I think if it was Paul, Paul would have signed it. Um, also, um, the way the New Testament is structured, uh, all the Paul stuff is Paul's longest letter to Paul's shortest letter sorted by length. Hebrews is way longer than Philemon. Um, Hebrew has more chapter, almost as, more, has almost as many chapters as, as Philemon has verses. So even the people in the fourth century were not, when they structured the New Testament as we know it, were not entirely sure that Hebrews belonged to Paul. They just didn't know where to put it. And so they put it between the Paul stuff and the rest of the shorter stuff. Because it sits between Paul, Paul, the what I think of as the book of Paul, which is the collection of Paul's letters that starts with Romans and ends with Philemon. Um, and then the, you know, your James's, your John, your three Johns, your two Peters, etc. Yeah, so he so he came out of and Apollos would have been an Alexander is an Alexandrian Jew. Right. Um, and, and then most of it with uh, this is actually the Septuagint book. Yes. Yeah. Uh, always. Uh, pretty much any. Yeah, which Apollos would have been very familiar with, and any any Jew living outside of Jerusalem would have been very familiar with, and even the Jews in Jerusalem, because they mostly spoke Aramaic and had interaction with Greek culture, would have been familiar with the Septuagint. Um, which is the Greek translation of the old, what we would call the Old Testament. Other questions before we dive? Yeah, we're, we're good on time. It's making sense. Yeah. Some of y'all may not care. I care I clearly I too much. I think it's me. Um, so now I want to look at Hebrews chapter 1, which functions very much as a thesis statement uh, for the book of Hebrews. Uh, what Hebrews cares about is Jesus. It is laser focused. The thing Hebrews cares about is Jesus. And it is a 12 chapter sustained argument with some shout outs at the end that wants you to know about how Jesus fits into the cosmos, how Jesus fits into your salvation, how Jesus fits into the structure of heaven. Um, and so chapter one is very similar to chapter one of the Gospel of John, right? Chapter one of the Gospel of John, one of the most important pieces of scripture. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God and everything came into being through him, right? Um, and so this also opens in Hebrews 1.1 1, 1, uh, with this idea that Jesus was there at creation. Creation came into being through him and this is the same one that comes into the world. The other thing that Hebrews 1 really cares about is that we understand a thing that Greeks would not have cared about and Hebrews would have. It is that Jesus, who this marker worked, <laughs> is greater than angels. This is probably not something you spend a lot of time thinking about. But when you grew up with angels as the divine messengers, and you're being told Jesus is a divine messenger, you might think, 
Jesus is equal to angels. And what Hebrews says is, no, he didn't know we were going to do math tonight. Um, not equal to angels. Jesus is not even greater than or equal than, equal to, is greater than the angels. Um, so now here, the opening of Hebrew Hebrews, uh, we're going to look first at uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he, spoke, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had he when he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the of the majesty on high, having become as much as much superior to angels as the name as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That's a lot for four verses, right? But you get. Christ came, God spoke to us through Christ. As God spoke through the prophets, God now speaks, spoke through Christ. But this isn't just any dude. This was the dude who was there at the creation. Um, all worlds came into being through him. Phrased differently than John. John is a prettier writer um, than the author of Hebrews, who I think is Apollos. Um, this is like denser than John, where John is very lyrical. John is very loose and lyrical. He's a party guy. Um, Apollo's probably not a party guy. Um, but the same point's made, right? Jesus there at the beginning. Um, this is partly where I think Apollos is interacting um, with the writings of John and his school. Um, and we get this, and Jesus is greater than the angels. Now, in verses 5 through uh, 14, there are seven scripture references. Um, and all of them make this point of how great and important Jesus is as a son of God and finding all of these Old Testament places um, where Jesus said. So we're going to do this one verse at a time. And this is just pop quiz. Who can name any of these? Okay, so verse five. For which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Okay, that's one. Anyone know? Psalm 2-7. You're looking at reference notes or did you, did you yeah. just know that? If you're losing reference notes, that's cheating. I have a list, which I also looked at my end notes. I, I already have it written down because I studied it. Sure. Months, so. Yeah, yeah. So I will bow out at this point. Having totally all all pastors and Bible scholars are out. No, no, y'all are in, but y'all can't look at your notes. I have notes too. I did that. I did my homework on this too. I have a list right here. Okay, so next one. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Anybody? No, it's Second Samuel 7, 14. Rolling on again. Again, when he brings the firstborn in the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. Deuteronomy 32, 43. Um, of all the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants fire of flame. That's Psalms. That's Psalms. That's Psalm 104.4. Um, jumping down. But the sun, but of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous and the righteous scepter is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God 
your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. And in the beginning, Lord, you found... This is another psalm. You've, yes? Yes, this is another psalm. Um, in the beginning, Lord, you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like clothing, like a cloak. You will roll them up, and the clothing, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will never end. Oh, Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. And then, maybe most importantly, but to which of the angels he has ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? That's Psalm 110, that's my favorite. Yeah, Psalm 110, 1. So, Psalm 110 frames all of Hebrews. In some ways, Hebrews is a reflection that there's a reflection on Psalm 110 that says Psalm 110 is about Jesus. Um, it's what in Judaism we would call a midrash, what we would call a sermon, um, interpreting that Psalm 110 is a psalm about Jesus. And so to close out um, our study of Hebrews this evening, um, before I take questions and we roll on to singing, I will simply, you didn't know we were going to get bonus psalm content after we just finished um, a good chunk of psalms. I'll read to you Psalm 110 of David, a psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your foes. Your people will offer themselves willingly. On the day you lead your forces on the holy mountains, from the womb of the morning, like dew, your youth will come to you. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter heads over the wide earth. He will drink from the stream by the path. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And the whole point that Hebrews makes is this promise of a savior, this promised Messiah who is a priest forever. That is Jesus. It is a very Old Testament argument. We're going to spend a lot of time going, oh yeah, I know that. Why do I know that? It's the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to look at how Jesus is like Moses and how Jesus is not like Moses. He's like Moses, but better. He's like an angel, but better. Most of, most of Hebrews is like this thing you know from the Old Testament. Jesus is like that, but better. Jesus is like your high priest in Jerusalem, but not corrupt in any way. Uh, <laughs> And can wash away not just sins for a moment, but sins forever. Um, questions, comments, concerns before we uh, close in song. Oh yeah, we're getting a lot of big words. We're all going to learn how to spell propitiation uh, by the end of this. I haven't heard that word in a while. I can't spell it, and I should. Um, I have to Google it and I put in enough letters to get close enough. And then I go, that looks right. Um, joys of being a dyslexic person on the internet. Um, other questions about Hebrews or what we've covered. Well, it proves that the new Testament needs the old Testament and the old needs the new. Cause a lot of folks say, well, we don't, who is the old Testament? We just new Testament people. Well, those are just people who have not read the new Testament very well <laughs> yeah. because oh, the most of the yeah. new Testament writers 
I can't think of one that doesn't. All of them really think the Old Testament matters, right? Yeah. Matthew and Luke include genealogies Jesus connecting Jesus to the Old matters. Testament. Paul quotes the Old Testament plenty. Luke does that work. John references the Old Testament plenty. So the whole John school, you well, know, uh, Jesus Revelations yeah. is con directly connected to the book of Daniel. The second half, the half, but most people don't read of Daniel. Everyone knows Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and forgets about the apocalyptic prophecy that ends the book of Daniel, right? The, the, the Testaments are intimately and purposely connected. Right. right. In the same way, we spend a lot of time thinking about how the Old Testament connects to the New when we look at prophets, particularly like Isaiah and Micah, Maya and Zechariah. But the same is true in the opposite direction. And so people who say they're a New Testament person just hasn't haven't read the New Testament. Right. Uh, uh, and, and Hebrews is for us. It is originally written to a Jewish audience, I get, but it is in our Bible. And we keep talking about how important scripture is. Um, so, yeah. Other questions, comments? Uh huh. Yeah. Again, we're, so we're going to do this. So for the rest of the study, we're probably going to do two chapters a week. My plan is to do this. I've said this before in about seven to eight weeks. I these chapters are dense. I don't want to take on too much material at a time to make sure we can actually dig in and get it. Um, at the same time, I don't want to spend the rest of this year on Hebrews. Um, that's a personal thing. Um, there in my are, opinion, I think that this was written. The Hebrews letter was written to explain the Old Testament to the Jews. I think yeah. that the purpose of that was that take away all the Gospels, all the books, and all the letters. And if I were a Jew, this explains mm -hmm. how the Old Testament evolved into the New yes. Testament or the new part. So it yes. actually it was yeah. a finisher of the Old Testament. Yes. Right. So yeah. uh, I, I heard a, uh, a, a Messianic Jew uh, gave a, uh, he, was, he was doing a, a, a revival or whatever. And he said that if you talk about Hebrews, talk in Hebrew, a Jew will understand every significant yeah. feature. In right. Uh, think words like um, that that they use in there, like substance. Yeah. You talk to Jews about their substance; they know what you're talking about. You yeah. talk to English, you know, American or anybody else, they don't know what substance right. is. So anyway. And we're gonna and we're gonna work through those references, right? We're gonna dig in. Um, and do what we do in this space, right? This is the, you know, Sunday morning is a different kind of sermon. This is the meat and potato service, right? We're going to dig in. Um, and we're, when, when there's a reference, we're going to work through what it means. Um, every time I do this, I have to look up Melchizedek. Because um, it always falls out of my head. Um, so we'll dig into Melchizedek. We'll we're going to dig in. We're going to walk away. My goal is we walk away really understanding there is deep beauty um, and a lot for us to be gained connecting the two testaments. All right? I'll just close the worship.